My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to go outside. And this is Burn Notice on Quarantine, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we'll explain them again. And we know you have time because we're all on quarantine, baby. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or where he is currently taking his quarantine, please get in touch. Not for creepy reasons, I swear. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That's burnnoticed with a D. In the interest of honesty, I didn't used to go outside. I've never been outside. (laughs) I know. Honestly, like, it's been very weird because I work from home already and I don't like leaving my house. And so, like, people are like, oh, man, everyone's going, like, stir-crazy with quarantine. I'm like, I... (laughs) literally nothing about my life has changed. I just have more canned goods than usual. Yeah, same. I mean, <laughs> so. I work. I do not work from home, but I work at a place that does not have a lot of people. And so I just drive to work and then drive home. And that's it. How long do you think that your workplace is going to stay open? That's a good question. They, they're already reducing hours a little bit. Yeah, I heard. Have we talked about your job on the podcast? I don't know if Chris, we talked about my Chris, job. Chris does dog stuff. Yeah, I do dog stuff. I work in dog hospitality. <laughs> That's how I've decided to phrase it. I work at a doggy daycare, and no one's boarding their dogs right now. That's the thing. There are two dogs that live there, so, so unless someone, someone take takes them home, someone's got to take care of those dogs. Um, but yes. But not a full staff. I so. will say, we... Didn't get no dogs for daycare yesterday, so people are still bringing their dogs in. Hmm. Which, and this is, this is actually a useful piece of information. Dogs cannot catch or spread coronavirus. A useful tip and trick for all you burn daddies out there. You know how we'll talk about something when we're recording and then by the time it comes out, it's no longer relevant? I don't think this one's going to be the case. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think this might be a unfortunately prescient episode, <laughs> despite being recorded probably a month in advance or more. Yeah. Who, who knows? Baby Burn Notice will come off of hiatus faster than anticipated. Exactly. Maybe in the, in the quarantine, Burn Notice will suddenly spike in popularity again and become America's television show. You know, that tracks for me and hey maybe we'll record maybe we'll start releasing more episodes a week because we're both you know not working now my job unless my company goes under which might be the case since a lot of our work uh our our money comes through events um my job situation does not change in fact i probably will be working more hours (laughs) as a result of the quarantine so that's unfortunate but chris will have a lot of time so maybe maybe chris will do a spinoff podcast maybe Maybe chris will start up burn notice noticed again (laughs) Maybe it's just me ranting about you angrily. Yeah, about all the bits that I cut out. Yeah. Um. So something else fun about this recording session is that currently I'm not wearing my glasses. And this doesn't mean much to you, podcast listeners. But what it does mean is that I can't 
very well read the uh, notes and our intro that we have uh, written down. And so I have made the font size. I actually don't know what size I've made the font because that's too small. I just know that the font is much bigger now. Uh, and it looks like we are two geriatrics reading notes to each other. Yeah, because um, it's the same Google Doc, so... Yeah, we, we 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 look off the same Google Doc. Yeah, the reason I'm not wearing my glasses is because I'm doing uh, what was meant to be a relaxing sheet mask, a purifying sheet mask where I spread slime all over my face and then it slowly hardens and I peel it off and feel better. Um, the peeling will commence soon at an undisclosed time during the recording of this podcast. We're hoping so. that we can get some of that on mic. <laughs> Actually, I wonder here. Let's see. It's pretty dry. I'm gonna see if I can peel some off, and if it'll, if you could hear it on the mic, you won't hear it, Chris. I won't hear maybe, it, so I won't know. This will be a fun surprise for later. All right, everybody, be quiet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. You know, I heard that, so I kind of feel like there's gonna be some like nice little ASMR versions. Hey, maybe we'll get into ASMR during the quarantine. Maybe that'll be our new thing. Exactly. Uh, you know what we might get into? Burn notice. Like, yes. Well, if we must, this episode that we're talking about today is season three, episode three, called End Run, uh, which aired June 18th, 2009, and was written by Craig S. O'Neill and directed- No, Jason Tracy. Directed by Denny Gordon. Are you sure it was written by Jason Tracy? No, no. I'm saying that there is no Jason Tracy this week. Normally- oh, they write episodes together. That's true. I did think that that was weird. I was like, doesn't he usually show up with somebody else? He also wrote Wanted Man, didn't he? I believe so. By himself? Uh, I believe so. I don't know. Hang I on. I'm distracted because I'm sending Chris an update for my sheet mask because it looks frankly horrifying. Um... <laughs> Looking forward so, to that. Yeah, if you guys want us to launch a Patreon, you'll get all of these pictures exclusively. And honestly, I think that it will be worth it. Or unless you let us start a Patreon, we will send these <laughs> pictures to you. I, I forgot. To I, post these I couldn't phrase it. I didn't know how to phrase it. I knew what I wanted to say, but didn't know how to words. Oh, man. Chris, have you ever done a sheet mask? You know, I haven't. It's is it a sheet amazing. or it, is it sheet with a T? It sounds also like you're saying sheep. <laughs> it's made of sheep blood. Yeah. Uh, no, sheet, S-H-E-E-T. Although I actually don't think that's what this is technically considered because the sheet masks are like a wet piece of fabric that you drape over your face. And like what I did, yeah, like a sheet or sheep. You know, when a sheep sits on your face. Mm -hmm. That's what I call a Friday night. See, and I don't like that because it's too wet. What I like is spreading goop on my face, letting it harden, and then peeling it off slowly. Not only do you get, like, the satisfaction of the peel, you know, like when you're peeling off um, a plastic film from a new piece of technology, uh, mm -hmm. but it's your face. But also, your face feels so clean and delightful. Does it feel like pulling off dead skin? Kind of. But, like, it's not painful. It's just, like, pleasantly tingly. Interesting. And now I'm going to have just, like, green goop all over my face for the rest of the day. All right. I have officially put my glasses back on. So, unfortunately, font size 36 is going away. 
Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. So, anyways, we're talking about a burn notice episode. It was directed by a woman. I like her directing. I. Oh, I that's right. Had... She directed another one. Mm-hmm. She's directed a couple. She, well, she she will direct a couple. I think she goes on to direct like four or five episodes of Burn Notice. Um, but I I've always liked her directing, and uh, this is no um, no exception. Spoiler alert! I really enjoyed this episode. So, I did too. Uh, I have a theory based. I developed it during this episode, and then next week's okay. episode also bear bore this out. The okay. worst part of burn notice is the clients. <laughs> well, and let's that, get into that w- when we get into the weeds. But before we can get into the weeds, I got to read an IMDb description. So the IMDb description of this episode, season three, episode three, end run is arms dealer Brennan returns and threatens to kill Michael's brother, Nate, if he does not cooperate and perform a mission for him. Simplistic, but fair. Good premise. I like this that premise. I did too. As soon as I saw Brennan's name, I was like, oh, hell yes. Because if you'll remember, the last time we saw Brennan, we've actually referenced Brennan multiple times since his episode because we liked that episode so much. Because he's one of the only clients who is fully wise to Michael Weston's bullshit and is like, you do well, whatever. Well, specifically, but... we liked him in the episode. We were iffy on the episode he was in. Well, that's fair. But yeah, we really did like him because he was the guy that flew the contraband around in an airplane 23 hours a day and stuff like that. Like, he's just very clever. And like the team had to iterate around him because he had everything planned out really well. It's just it's he's a he's a really great foil because he is so prepared. Like yeah. he, they, it, you can't just like trick him like he's some backwater thug that they normally deal with. Like he's, he's on to stuff. He knows and it's a good performance. It's a good kind of James really Woodsy. Like he's fun. Yeah, there was a couple of, of moments in this episode that I, I think I specifically call out in my notes that are like, this actor is doing an excellent job because like he's hamming it up as he needs to. But he also has this really great like control over his own expressions where he can kind of flip between things really quickly during like a really kind of ham fisted monologue. And it's very impressive. I was I was very impressed by this guy this week. What's so, his uh, name? We'll news. never know. Uh, I have no idea. I refuse to look it up, and now we have no one answering our questions. So he is Brennan. He will always be Brennan. He is Brennan. All right. He's Chris, an actual he... crime guy. <laughs> He's a real crime guy. They just stole off the street. Yeah. Chris, will you take my hand and jump into the weeds with me? No touching. Good. That was a test. Social distancing, bitch. Let's get into the weeds uh, at a safe distance apart. So Michael is eating a yogurt and reading the paper in the beginning of this episode, which I very much enjoyed. When Nate, followed by Detective Paxson, remember Paxson? Uh, interrupt his morning routine. Luckily, Michael and his spy tips were prepared for unwanted law enforcement visitors, so he's got a daily activity log file to hand over, detailing all of his movements in perfect passive-aggressive display. Uh, A back and forth that frankly goes nowhere ensues and just wastes my time, and then Michael drives Nate to their mom so Nate can pick up his car and go to a meeting about investors or with investors for his limo company. Remember, Nate has a limo company and is he been out has of a limo for a company while. and like a decent suit. He looks. It's, Nate it's looks fine. clean here. He does. Nate looks like he hasn't been drinking toilet water and doing drugs recently, so that's he, exciting. Can I say really quickly? 
in your notes, you never spell Paxson right. And I agree with you. I hate the <laughs> wait, way the show spells Paxson. Wait, how is how is Paxson spelled? It's it's like P A X S O N. It is not. S-O-N. There's an That's S. Crazy. No, you're full of shit. I'm gonna look it up right now. That can't be true. It's ridiculous. I know because they use it in lower thirds all the time. They do, but I don't believe you. I can't. Oh my I'm god, mad you're right. It's P A. It's P A X S O N. What the fuck kind of a name is that? Burn notice. It's fucking ridiculous. Uh, oh, the guy who's now that I'm looking it up because I needed to know that uh, the guy that plays Tyler Brennan, Tyler, by the way, hilarious first name, which is why they only refer to him as Brennan until he no longer has power. Uh, that actor's name is Jay Carnes. He was born in Omaha, Nebraska. I've been to Omaha. Nice little town. Yeah. He was in Chicago. Shout out to TV listeners in Omaha. <laughs> he he was in 12 Monkeys. Looks like Love he was like a pretty major character. He was in The Crossing, Tyrant, Gang Related. Was he in the movie 12 Monkeys or the show 12 Monkeys? Uh, the show. He's a good guy. I like him. I don't know if he's a good guy. He's a good yeah, actor. who knows? He does the rounds in a lot of um, like crime TV shows. Yeah, he was in Numbers. He was in. So he's he's gotten around. But yeah, he's he's wonderful. I really enjoy him a lot. Um. So, anyways, but we haven't gotten to him yet. So Nate, this is important for later. We're Nate stuck is going to dealing be with Paxson. Ugh, we're not even though. I'm like moving on from her because that's like this full honestly. So I like this episode a lot. This I do cold too. open was fucking garbage. It was so boring and it was just people talking and not moving anywhere. Like nothing important happens until like the end of the cold open. But the first like two minutes of this episode were a waste of my goddamn time. Agreed. Uh, but we we do learn that Nate is going to meet with some investors about his limo company. So good for him. Uh, screen wipe transition following some disembodied boobs and butts across the screen reveals our trio at a restaurant discussing the Paxson problem because she plans Paxson. on making her way through everyone who knows Michael in Miami, which at this point is a lot of people. And they're a little bit nervous about this because at some point someone's going to crack. So they decide the best thing to do will be to get in with someone who Paxson will regret talking to like someone with clout. I think it's immediately determined someone at the mayor's office. So they basically decide, like, we're going to set Michael up with someone from the mayor's office so that when Paxson goes to, like, question them, people will get upset. Then uh, this is, like, a very long cold open from what I remember. It was, like, I, I kept thinking, like, did I miss the title wipe? What's happening? Anyways, the last scene before the cold open finally ends is that Michael is heading to his car when Brennan, my favorite season two villain or one of them, uh, returns and shoots Michael's car just to fuck it up for no reason. Man, I love this dude. Apparently he's back in town because he sent an anonymous gift basket of guns and rocket launchers to the rival gang of the one that Michael got Brennan on the outs with, which is brutal and honestly very smart. This is when I remember what episode this is, and I, at the time of writing the notes, thought that I thought I liked this episode. So stay tuned, folks. Uh, spoiler alert, I do like this episode. I, uh, but this- it's, well, honestly, barring one aspect of it that I don't care for, one of my favorite episodes of Burn Notice. I would there. say that, too. I'm curious about the thing that you don't like is the thing that I don't like. So It probably is. <laughs> yeah, at this point, probably. So, uh, end of cold open. 
Oh, wait, no, it's still not the end of a cold open. So Brennan is like, hey, I'm back, bitch. And Michael's like, cool, good for you. And Brennan's like, no, 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 I'm like back. So it turns out that Brennan is Nate's new investor in the limo company. And Brennan's goon partner is keeping Nate contained and busy while Brennan gets Michael to do a job for him. This is a great ploy. I'm very on board. There's a lot of heavy drums as this sequence unfolds. And then title card created by Matt Nix. Like, very this heavy is drums, though. Very <laughs> heavy drums. Kind of a lot. This is great because it's a win-win situation. Either <laughs> Michael does all of this stuff and like for Brennan and has a good time, or Nate dies. <laughs> Honestly, we're so mean to Nate. Oper- Nate hasn't been annoying in a while. I mean, he's a. But he also hasn't annoying. been around in a while. Yeah, it's true. It's because the show doesn't know what to do with him. Because, like, they can't let him grow, but they also can't, like, let him go backwards because that'll be boring, too. So they're like, what if we just, like, don't bring him back very often? And what if he's just a non-entity? What if he has no distinguishing characteristics? (laughs) Which is essentially what this – he's, like, a failed business owner. Like, I said that he's very clean. He looks nicer here, but, like – the fact that Nate's whole thing was that he's scuzzy is that now he just looks like a blank slate. You mean like his brother, Michael Wesson? Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying. So uh, we we come back from the cold open uh, back at I either Brennan's car or Michael's car. I'm not sure. But Michael is forced to dump all of his stuff, like his wallet and his keys and also his sunglasses. And then uh, Brennan says, I want to see those pretty eyes. And this is the first moment of this show that I recorded the audio from. So I will insert it here. Cell phone, keys, wallet, and your sunglasses. want to see those pretty eyes. I love Brennan. I love Brennan because he reminds me of Siler from Heroes. And I am such a fan of the unhinged villain who is just like having such a good time and just being like, just like really living it up. You know, because there's there's villains that are just like, I'm bad and I do drugs. But then there are other villains that have like style and they seem to take genuine pride in their work and like chaos. And that's what I'm looking for. And that's what Brennan provides every single time. Love this guy. No, he's great. So. The, the rules of this little interaction that they're about to have for the day uh, are pretty simple. Brennan wants Michael to do many things and listen to all of his bullshit. Otherwise, Nate dies. We get a quickie proof of life call. The actor playing Brennan is fantastic and they drive off. Barry meets with an unknowing Fiona and Sam at Madeline's house. And we learn that Sam is living with Madeline like the spinoff show of our dreams. And yet we don't see any roommate antics. So happy about the fact that this is happening for a while. I am too. The problem is that that doesn't come up at all. No, it doesn't. The roommate situation does not affect anything. And I'm so upset because it's like, we have been begging for this. I think we probably mentioned it in season one, how much we want Sam and Madeline to just like be best friends who are also roommates. Yes. We, we want Bruce Campbell to be in his own little version of Golden Girls (laughs) is what we want. Ugh. Well, we're close. 
and he's yeah. still living with her next episode. So maybe in like an episode or two, we'll finally get some payoff to this. But just knowing that it's happening does really warm my heart. So I will, I am sated for now. Um, yes. I will also say this is the first episode with Barry where it feels like Barry is actually necessary and is in more than one scene, which I enjoyed as well. It's like, oh, finally, they've written this guy apart that makes sense for him. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, I will say Barry is the thing that I don't like about this episode. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, same. Be- there's a couple of th- times where his plot line are like, what's happening here? However, it at least seems like he and his particular skill sets are actually necessary for the plot of yes. this episode and not just like they're fulfilling a contract. So that's what I will say I do like about the Barry stuff. So then, so basically what they've decided is that Barry is going to set up a joint checking account between Michael Weston and a mayor's aide. Uh, in order to do this, Barry needs Fiona to go swipe a a mayor's aide's debit card to like get her details. Uh, and then he'll set that up for them. The way that he gives this information to Fiona to go get it is that he writes down a little note, hands it to Fiona. Then Fiona starts walking away and Barry like grabs her hand and kisses her hand and then continues to hold on to her hand as Fiona like looks over at Sam, like what the fuck is happening? And Sam's like, I don't know. And, uh, Barry repeatedly calls Fiona's hands pretty little hands and then refers to his own hands as pretty little hands. And then earlier in the scene, he made some like comment about like, oh, his salon is nearby and he does a little hair twirl and like sexuality is fluid. But what the fuck is happening in this scene? What is Barry's deal at all? (laughs) The important thing is that there's only one sexuality that men can have. Well, two, there's, you can be Bruce Campbell, fucking ladies left and right, or you can be Michael Weston, kind of want to fuck one lady sometimes. And that's it. But what is Barry's deal? Barry's deal is that, like, he's queer-coded, and that's scary. So they need to give him enough aggressive sexual energy towards Fiona to offset it? No, I think that's part of it. I think... The idea He's, he senses Fiona's strong masculine energy. No, I don't think it's that. I think like no, Barry is firmly bisexual, and that's part of it. Is that he's effeminate, but also he's coming for our women too. That yeah. he's just like skeevy is the thing. Because he can't pick a side, you know, like bisexuals. Yeah, he's yeah, Barry like is yeah. Wild. That's the thing. It's weird. There's a lot of, and there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's more jokes about this in this episode. The jokes about Barry are the weakest part of this episode. Yep. All right. Well, confirmed. We had the same thing. Yeah. I I want to like Barry and I want like their money launderer friend who's kind of slimy and kind of fabulous to like be a fun character, but Burn Notice isn't mature enough for it. Also, we- I don't love the actor. Yeah, I... I think the problem is is that the character is very confusing and like how do you play this character? How do you play like very queer coded, maybe bisexual, leering, lazy, like smart guy who hacks with money? Like that's such a confusing character. I can't even imagine what the direction must be for him. You you basically have to be John Barrowman. Really good. 
Oh my God, can you imagine John Barrowman like full on flirting with both Michael Weston and Fiona and Fiona is all in and Michael Weston's like, what's happening while he's hacking into bank accounts? Oh man, Chris. I love it. I mean, yeah. I haven't thought of John Barrowman in a long time. I gotta watch Doctor Who again. Anyways, this is a burnout. He, rec- Let's get he back recently to came back and it was kind of annoying. Oh no. Well, so that's the problem is you can't like the the problem with an infinite show is that you can't just like think that you can bring back characters in totally new eras and it'll be fine. Like sometimes things should stay in the past. Sometimes things are better to like let their endings be endings. Agreed. Anyways, <laughs> speaking of endings, this show ended ten years ago. Brennan and Michael go to their first pit stop. Michael is given a handyman jumpsuit and instructions to get a digital key out of a particular office in half an hour. No more, no less. What I also love about this moment is that Brennan acknowledges that he's sending Michael into a mostly empty office building and knows Michael is going to use the time for shenanigans. And he's like, you can go ahead and do that. Just remember what's at stake. So Brennan's like, I know you're going to do some stuff. That's fine. Do whatever you want. But remember... I have your brother, and you don't know where he is. So, you know, take that into consideration with your actions. And I, I like the confidence. My favorite thing about that speech is we got this very 2009 moment where he pointedly says, update your Facebook status. <laughs> uh, was the all was everyone having flip phones not enough 2008 energy for you? <laughs> Just letting everyone know, hey... We just got Facebook. Facebook just started happening. It's the new thing. Do we even call them status updates anymore? I don't know what we... I don't, we don't use Facebook. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, I, I just love that it's the hip new thing that's happening right now in the episode. It kind of reminds me of... The first time on Buffy that someone mentions Harry Potter. When was the first time someone mentions Harry Potter? I don't think I remember that. I would, it's, I remember that Dawn says it. So it's, it's at some point after Dawn shows up. There's also an episode of Buffy that uses a Coldplay song and it's wrong. Um, well, yeah, so that all happened. So Michael indeed does some office building shenanigans. And I think wistfully back to Brad Brakes for just a little bit. I do love when Michael Weston is just like set loose in an office building and picks up random shit from people's desks and builds something very impressive. Um, and the thing this that episode he in this has scene, a bad breaks energy. It does. Well, because it's really well paced because there's it's complicated and things are changing and the bad guys are actually competent. And so it's like a nice layered like each little bit of the puzzle that Michael gets brings him closer and also further away from solving the issue. And, they, you know, there's just like a lot of different set pieces that they have to move around to. So it's not like they have one job that they do the whole time. It's like there's lots of little mini jobs that give us things to move the story from, you know, section to section. Um, but yeah, this, it, it, bad breaks energy fully realized. Uh, but so, yeah, so he builds this little contraption in the office building out of a Pringles can and some wiring. No, uh, uh, and- uh, uh, uh. Out of a Sun Crisps can. Sure. It looks like a Pringles can. It's shaped like a Pringles can. Pringles. Yeah, but they do not. They cannot use Pringles. <laughs> they have not gotten the rights to use Pringles. Fair so, enough. It's a Sun Crisps can that <laughs> looks like it was made by a 14-year-old. It was 
graphic it design was designed by someone's cousin <laughs> well in any case it was a tube where chips used to be and he builds this thing that allegedly allows him to hack into brennan's phone from the office building like he's like two or three actually stories they're up. not chips they're crisps chris i can't do this with you right now I- <laughs> you, but like pringles are legally not chips really yeah because they are not like sliced potatoes that have been fried but they're like processed like potato flakes that have been shaped pringles are legally not chips I'm sure that distinction will save lives one day. All right, anyways, I want to talk to you about this insane contraption that Michael builds through his shenanigans. All right, let's it's, talk about it. It's it's it's, it's cute. some bullshit. It's very cute. And it's also some bullshit. There is absolutely no way that this thing works the way that it says. I will allow the spy tip that builds it later on because I have to trust Burn Notice's spy tips that are very complicated, but also it's a Pringles can. It hacks into Brennan's cell phone using Bluetooth and pulls all of the data off of it onto an office computer that Michael then emails to Sam and Barry to scrape through and, like, solve the mystery later. He hacks this guy's phone with a Pringles can from a second-story window. I mean, he put something in the Pringles can. Yeah, some wires and bullshit. I mean, I suspect that it's the wires and bullshit that are doing the work. The Pringles can's, like, um... Like a satellite dish or something. I'm just saying, I watched him build this thing, and I do not believe it. I mean, I believe it, it seems like bullshit. It's so convenient. The amount of it's information in- he gets with the, like, tiny amount of time that it takes him to get it does not seem realistic to me. Especially not in 2009, the era of the Facebook status update. You're not wrong. It's almost certainly bullshit. But... There is some sort of technobabble explanation. It's not like he's waving a Pringles can in the air and catching the data. He didn't he didn't make like a string cup cell phone and have yeah. throw Brennan one side and then like use his sound waves to unlock his phone. Yeah, fair enough. It's I think it's bullshit, but it's complicated enough bullshit that like I'm allowing it because I'm having a really good time with this episode, but still I'm watching you burn notice. So uh, Michael also calls Sam and emails him all the data he just scraped and is like, hey, shit's going down. Please help. And Sam's like, okay. Michael then smashes through the window of the office that he needs to break into, raising an alarm but allowing him access to said office. He also learns that the thing Brennan is after has something to do with something that's classified because he finds a classified, like, file in the same drawer as the key. Um, he also purposefully injures himself to seem more pathetic and swigs a bit of alcohol he found from somebody's desk to really sell it. This is the second episode that takes place in an office building where Michael has just like found a bottle of liquor in someone's desk on like the second desk he checks. Man, office working is bleak. There is alcohol at my job. (laughs) Like that kind of alcohol? Like a big glass thing of whiskey? It's in the freezer, but yeah. Yikes. In the interest of fairness, no one drinks on the clock. <laughs> no one knows where I work. I don't say where I work. But if someone, like, tried to piece it together, no one has ever drank on the clock at my job. And that's that. The guards come upstairs at the alarm sounding and find Michael Weston 
pretending to be drunk and crying over all the broken glass. And Michael does some really excellent selling of his drunkenness, including getting very close to one of the guards' faces and saying, no, in response to the query of whether he is drunk or not. Uh, he gives Just the to really Dixon. get those <laughs> alcohol fumes into his nose. Yeah, it was. He almost like says funny. it like into his nostrils. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, as he's convincing them that he's drunk because he just like took a swig and is bleeding. He's just like kind of stumbling and getting very close to their faces so they can smell the fumes. It's very funny. His name yeah. is Johnny Dixon, and I love him. Yeah, he's great. No, yeah, he is Johnny Dixon. Um, he is a lush. He is a lush. His wife, is, he just went through a divorce and his wife's new boyfriend lives in Flagstaff. Yeah. And all he did was knock over a thing and break some glass. He's definitely not a spy. And so can you please give him a break, sir? And they said, okay, up. but call someone to pick you up. And he's like, okay. He almost has little like bubbles floating from his head. <laughs> Like Little music should bubbles. be playing, like bum 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 bum. So here's my thing: is they're like clean this up and then call someone to take you home. Michael leaves the place with a whole cart of cleaning supplies, which we know he did not bring with him, and the guards also know because they saw him walk in earlier without the cart of stuff. So has Michael Weston actually finished cleaning that floor before coming down to meet Brennan? Why are they letting him take all his cleaning supplies with him? Why did he even take them? The only thing he was stealing was the tiny little key he could have put in his pocket. What's happening? Maybe, uh, like, they searched him on his... Well, they, they patted him down. So, I mean, I guess he could have just taken at, taken it out of the bucket once he'd been patted down. I don't know if they patted him down again. Do they think he's taking the cleaning supplies home? Why did they just let him walk out of the building with this giant cart of cleaning supplies, Chris? He's a lush. (laughs) It's a cleanup. It makes no sense. (laughs) And it was also just a weird thing. It didn't feel like he needed it. My kid, I miss my kid. I miss my kid. Here, I gotta take I'm gonna take I'm gonna take this bucket and give it to my kid. So my kid knows what a good dad and good at his job, dad, Johnny Dixon. Are you drunk, Johnny? Yes. <laughs> no, you're supposed to say, no. <laughs> I refuse. The next thing that happens is that Michael and Brennan drive to their next gig. Michael does some low-key flirting with Brennan uh, by giving him a once-over and, like, asking about all the details of his get-up as they drive to the next job. Uh, And one thing in particular seems to strike a nerve, which is that he notices a pretty little tie pin that he's wearing. And Brennan gets weird, but then they move on. Michael is then given a wire to tape to himself and is sent into a house where he needs the person inside to say their full name and all the numbers zero through nine. Michael sees a car nearby, asks Brennan for a tire iron, and Brennan just watches the next full scene go down with the glow of a man in love. This is very fun chemistry that I am extremely into. I I like just like getting to cut to Brennan in the middle of a Michael Weston antic and just seeing him just like delightedly watching from afar. I agree too. It's a lot of fun. Like, it's not quite giddy. It's not like, um, what's his name from last season, who was just like, yay, chaos. Already forgotten his name. Victor. Yes. He's very bemused, I think. I never know how to use that word. I don't think you used it right. He's very amused. 
quietly yeah, he's just he's yeah and i also think that there's a lot of respect there he's like the reason he's yeah. chosen michael for all these jobs is because he knows he'll get it done and he knows he'll get it done with style and brennan likes exactly. style and then he'll kill him and then he'll there was him. a line earlier that i meant to highlight and then uh forgot when um michael is talking to sam on the phone where michael says the line brennan's got the weston brothers fitted for body bags which is a delightfully pulpy line that Michael Weston would never say. <laughs> yeah, that's what the writers wished Michael Weston said, but it's not really accurate to his being. I will say, that's a real line. This is a reference for us only. That's a real Rainbow City line. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so the way that Michael gets this dude to say all the numbers and his name and whatnot is oh before before we go into there the the thing that we know about this guy is that he's a guy with the right security clearance so that's why we need his like voice code um and also that this guy is very second amendment friendly so he is less likely to call the cops and more likely to just like shoot michael on sight and michael's like cool so michael breaks into someone else's car and slams it into the back of the guy's car who he needs the shit from uh and so i think oh okay this makes sense He's going to make him, like, exchange insurance numbers, and that's how he'll get all the numbers. But it's way more fun than that. It's so, so much um, more fun than that. It's so much more fun. I, so Michael, this is my favorite bit of the episode, possibly. It's so good. It's great direction, great acting, very active and frenetic. Oh, it was very, very fun. So Michael, because he doesn't have his phone on him, because Brennan has not allowed him to have a cell phone, um, is like, sorry, I left all my shit at home. But if I can use your if I can use your phone in your house, I can like call my insurance. And the guy's like, oh, fine. So they go into the guy's house and he's got this like massive gun display. It's a very yeah. nicely laid out display. And Michael's like asking him what each gun is and like each gun has some kind of like number associated with it at one point he's asking about a gun and he's like oh it's a then it's just like a word and then he's like well what kind of bullets does it use and he's like what are you talking about he's like tell me what kind of bullets it uses because he needs the additional numbers and it's like a very fun scene because this gun rack is like all glass with the guns sort of like positioned throughout it so like we're kind of seeing them through the display and michael's just sort of like bopping around going from thing to thing in the apartment and this other guy is like getting more and more frustrated and it's just very active very like fast paced scene it's very very fun it's just like yeah. there's a and lot the guy of, is real kind of, of he's very annoyed about it when Brennan said, like, this guy's got loves guns, he's probably just going to shoot you. I had an idea of what the guy was going to be like in my head. And it's not that guy. No, it's really not. He's much more of a manager. Yeah, I was going to say kind of like a like a Republican aide. Yeah. Like privileged white guy gun lover. And he's like, and he like collects like world war ii memorabilia probably like, yeah he's got a bunch he's of not nazi like... stuff but he's a collector he's a historian he's not a real nazi but like he owns a lot of nazi stuff to not be a nazi you know what i'm saying exactly he's not like some sort of cowboy or something <laughs> yeah no he's he's not like he's not blue collar he's he's white collar bullshit exactly so um Sam this is Barry... an ad for white collar this is a white collar crossover <laughs> We've been brought, we've been threatening it. Chris, I'm going to make you watch White Collar, you son of a bitch. Just wait. I refuse. <laughs> I was actually talking to um, the Vince who did our theme song 
about Legends of Tomorrow because I've been debating about watching Legends of Tomorrow. I the this like half a season that I watched was very fun, and then I just I couldn't keep up with everything else going on in the DC TV universe, and so I kind of gave up on it. My thing is, I I don't like those shows. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow is the one that you should watch if exactly none others. Uh, no, agreed. And everything I've heard about it makes it seem like fun, but. The thing about it is I can't tell if it's fun or good. And, like, good shows can be fun, too. In this, like, age of, like, so much content, I feel myself less interested in shows that are fun but not good. I think that I would argue that that is definitely what Legends of Tomorrow is. Fun but not good? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and that's what... Oh, yeah, let's be clear. It's not a good show. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, exactly. But I'm sh- it looks really successful at being fun. And I feel like that fun but not good distinction is where USA just lived for a while. I think so, too. I think that's probably a good point. I think this show is fun but not good. I agree. Although this episode is pretty good. It is. So let's let's move on. This is another. So, like, this episode is, like, it's got bad breaks energy. But where, where it fails is that there's a lot of logical fallacies that are not explained and there's too much going on for them to really dwell on them. But like, there's a couple of moments where I'm like, "Mm, you didn't think this out quite enough. Michael Horowitz would have never. Anyways. So as Michael is like in the gun guy's house, Sam and Barry are coming. Next week we'll find out what Michael Horowitz would do. I know. Uh, Sam and Barry are coming through Brennan's like phone details uh, when Michael calls. But I can't help but remember that during the entirety of this phone call that Michael has with them, he is wearing a wire. So the entire call is being picked up by Brennan, right? And he's not using like code words or anything. Is he Michael's wearing just a like, wire? He is because that's how he's recording the um, the numbers oh. uh, that this guy is saying out loud. That's true. That we is watch true. him tape the wire to himself, and he, and then later on, Brennan makes reference to the fact that he cut together the like audio. Yeah, he key. cut it together. Yeah, Brennan will That's, listen to this phone call. It's possible that like Michael turned like, it off. Turned it off. I'm How, sure. When would Brennan he have turned it back on? Because uh, he still has like one or two numbers to record after this phone call. Well, no, I'm like I'm saying he turned it off and turned it back like. When did he turn it back on? Because the guy interrupts him mid-phone call, and then he has to improvise and get the final number. That fucking recorder is on the whole time. I also don't think that it's manually turned on and off. I think it's just recording. I mean, yeah. This entire very incriminating phone call of all of the shit that they have on Brennan is going to be something that Brennan listens to like a podcast he's editing in like two scenes. And I could not stop thinking about that the entire time it was happening. And that's such an obvious thing that if he just mentioned, like, if we see him, like, holding the microphone away from him, like, you know, with his fist over it or something, and, like, talking really quietly. Like, if we had seen him do literally anything to, like, let us know that the person writing this show was being thoughtful about, like, how the spycraft is happening, I would have been fine with it. But we don't get that. It's sloppy. Bad Brains it is was sloppy. not sloppy. I like it's Craig sloppy. O'Neill a lot. I do too. I have but a he's lot a of fun. He's not quite as tight. Yeah, he's not as tight. He's a he's a little bit sloppier. He's kind of a messy bench. He is. <laughs> uh so anyway, so that that real this that was the moment that like really annoyed me about this episode is that like there's so much really fun spy stuff happening, the but it's just not quite as tight as I needed it to be. 
And like, it's not hard to tighten those things up. And they just, they missed them. Uh, so then we cut to... I can't believe that I did not think of that. Anyway, so this scene ends with the the gun guy coming in and being like, uh, you're clearly not talking to your insurance. And Michael Weston's like, <gasps> and so then we cut to Fiona. Uh, where it's been a while. We haven't seen Fiona much in this episode. She's stealing that debit card from the mayor's aide. And uh, she gets the card and then gets a call from Sam, who kind of gets her up to date about what's going on. And he's like, hey, can you meet me at this address? And she's like, sure, 10 minutes. And then drives over a shrubbery divide in the parking lot that she's in so that she can get there a little bit faster and a little bit more stylistically. And I enjoyed that a lot. It was, it was completely great. unnecessary. It was, <laughs> and I love it. It's meant to sell that, like, feels like, oh, Michael's in trouble. Like, nothing can stop me. <laughs> I don't care about display. medians. Yeah, exactly. She it's, it's also just a display that she's like a chaotic bitch and I love her. Exactly. That's another thing about I think O'Neill and not Tracy mm-hmm. is that they write Fee very chaotically. And I love that. They wrote Wanted Man. Wanted Man is one of the best episodes of chaotic fee energy. And so anytime I see his name, I know that I'm at least going to have an enjoyable time, if not yes. a perfect time. Uh, Michael is then marched outside by the gun guy while Brennan watches, still delighted. He's like, ooh, how is my boyfriend going to get out of this one? Michael gets a little physical to get the last number out of the guy uh, by, like, basically, he was like, your car is clearly eight inches off of the side of the road. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? It's clearly, like, not. And then Michael basically pins him to the car and is screaming at him, like, say it's eight inches and I'll leave you alone. Say it's eight inches. And the guy was like, fine, it's eight. And then Michael walks away. And, like, not for nothing, but the audio difference between the numbers that he has recorded is going to be wild. Like, he is at very different distances from this guy at every point in this interaction and the guy's tone changes wildly depending on what number he's getting the recording of. So it's going to be, we actually hear the cut together thing. Do we? I don't remember hearing. Yeah, we do. And he's done a good job with it. (laughs) Brennan, Brennan should be editing our podcast. Yeah. Brennan should be editing our podcast. He's done a good job with it. Like he's messed with the levels. So they're all about the same. How does he know what the number needs to be? If, like, why did he have Michael get him to say all the numbers when he already knew what numbers he needed? Did he get Michael to say all the numbers? Yeah, he's like, I need you to get him to say his name and numbers zero through nine. Maybe he, like, didn't have the number yet. Maybe he has a guy getting back to him about the numbers. What guy? The guy that's with Nate? That guy's not doing shit. He can have other guys. He's got a house. He's got, like, maybe Sloppy. his daughter is doing it. <laughs> his like clearly five-year-old daughter this is it's just this is this is one once again another example it's just a little sloppy like we could sloppy. fill in stuff it's not hard to fill in this sort of stuff but a good episode would have given us that anyways let's see so michael and brennan drive to their next stop a weapons manufacturer and michael's meant to go in and get a box michael refuses until he's been told what's in the box saying he's not going to save one life and doom potentially more so brennan puts in a call to his goon with nate because he isn't really into being a negotiator but michael holds firm and because you can only use blackmail once brennan decides he may as well tell him it's a bio something or other who cares once again this is another time i think in the last brennan episode we were like he has a thingy and it's bad 
And we just called it the thingy the whole episode because it ultimately does not matter. It's something to do with weaponry. And Brennan yeah. wants it real bad. But whatever it is, it puts Michael at ease to the extent that if Brennan gets his hands on it, it won't, like, get more people killed. It will just, it's, in Brennan's words, make Brennan really rich when people get killed. It's not a nuke. Yeah, exactly. It's not a little box of a nuke that a guy has just left in his office over the weekend. No, like, your little box nuke. A travel nuke. <laughs> A bite-sized nuke. Fun-sized nuke. That's what I was looking for. So yeah, so that happens. So Michael agrees to keep playing for now. Michael heads into the parking structure beneath the weapons manufacturer and does further shenanigans to draw out a security card, steal his ID, then get another security guard to come investigate as well, leaving the guard room empty. Though how Michael knew that there were only two dudes in the security office is beyond me. Like, we as the audience know that there's only two of them, and so we know that once he has, like, taken out both of them, he'll be okay. But I don't know how Michael knows that. Um, Is that a thing that Brennan said? Brennan did give him some info. Did he give him the info that there were only two guards? He might have done, actually. That sounds familiar. Okay. Well, I I will allow it if that is the case. If not, I will not allow it. Sam and Fee pull up to a property Barry pulled from Brennan's financial records that they got a hold of. And apparently they've been at this for a while, going from property to property, trying to find where Nate is. Uh, This is their last shot to find him. And unfortunately, they are at the right place, but at the wrong time. Nate has just left. As Sam relays the bad news to Michael on the phone, Michael realizes where Nate is now with him. Uh, Brennan has gotten the goon squad to bring Nate to him and Michael at the gun manufacturing company. And I, once again, I didn't see that coming. I, I remember this episode. I don't remember that this is what happened. And I was so fucking thrilled because that's a great fucking move. Like, hey, let's, I remember, let's actually put him in front of you, Michael. You want to gamble with his life now? Ugh, it's so good. And I remember in the earlier scene kind of thinking when he says, the voiceover about how you can only blackmail once. It's like, yeah, but you can like shoot him in the shoulder or something. Like <laughs> they like definitely could have shot Nate, and then and then he but does. Won't have yeah, but he won't. It won't have the impact unless Michael is physically there to watch it happen and watch his yeah. little brother suffer. And he does because Brennan's like, all right, um, I'm not fooling around, and he just shoots Nate in the arm, just like so casually, like it means nothing to him. And I love that. It's very Siler energy. Uh, Heroes, not a fun show or a good show, but I watched it for my own reasons. Um, yeah. And he he says this very good line where it's like, Brennan, Brennan's like, oh, you, you had to know what was in the box? Well, I had to show you who was in charge. It's fucking raw as hell. So good. Brennan gets some really good one-liners. So yeah. Michael goes to the building to get the box and calls Sam while he's on the phone uh, putting something about, what? Wait, hang on. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So Michael goes into the building to go get the fun size nuke or not um, and is calling Sam. And while he and Sam are talking, Michael puts something together about Brennan and is like, Sam, can you get Fee and some C4 and also get Barry into position for a call something something? And And Sam's like, all right, it'll be tight, but it'll happen. Michael walks out of the building. No box. Brennan is pissed. Sam and Fee blow up Brennan's house, taking a picture and sending it to Brennan. Michael pulls out the big guns with Brennan as Brennan pulls a big gun out on Nate. And Michael claims to have drained all of Brennan's accounts along with Splode in his house, uh, as we saw with Fee in the, the C4. 
And uh, Brennan's like, I don't believe that anyone is that good. I don't think that you have all my money. And uh, Michael's like, I can wait. Let's let's hear it out. And Brennan's like, okay. So he puts in a call to his bank. Uh, and it, Barry answers with a they terrible the call. British accent. Presumably, they intercept the call with a bag of Fritos. Yeah, probably. And so Barry and his bad British accent are like, oh, yeah, are you calling about the transfer? Uh, the one where all of your money is gone? That wasn't suspicious at all. Have a nice day, Mr. Brennan. Um, and then in like a turn that I wasn't expecting, but really, really enjoyed, Brennan's like, I don't believe you that all my money is gone. But also, if it is, fuck it. I can rebuild. I do not. It's just stuff. I can get more stuff. I've got other stuff. And I was like, that's really cool for a villain to not just like mindlessly dragon hoard all of his shit. Like, hey, if some of my shit is gone, that's fine. I'll get new shit. He's about to sell this bio thing. Exactly. And that I really enjoyed that, that like he is a reasonable villain and is like, you know what? I'm going to take this in stride. Sure. Fuck with me. Do whatever you want. But I want my shit. I want my my little bio thing. And then Michael's like, well, what about Bell Anna? And he was like, what? And he's like, oh, I met your daughter, Annabelle. So Michael reveals that he's figured out that Brennan has a daughter named Annabelle and then threatens her. And after a little back and forth, Brennan backs off, which I will say was not my favorite way to have ended this crisis, but it's less sloppy than it could have been. So I'm fine with it. Yeah. uh, The guy playing Brennan sells it. Yeah. That he's the only reason that it's sold. The only reason that that is sold at all is because the guy that plays Brennan does an excellent job, but like, all of a sudden just having a daughter that he cares about a lot. And like Michael put that together from a tie clip in the name of a bank account. Eh. Yeah. It's, I'm also not like it's over the moon about villains that like have one family member that they love. And as soon as you threaten that one family member, they're like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. I mean, it like, works in this one, especially since like Michael explicitly parallels it and is like, yeah, you do that thing, then I'll do that thing. Yeah, no, very, very mutually assured destruction. Like, Can it, I say? Again, it worked with this episode. I didn't love it, but I don't hate it either. I'm willing to let it slide because the rest of this episode was so good, and Michael does draw a nice parallel towards the end. I will say, Brennan's a smart guy. He legitimately does not like Michael. It really seems like, if we've learned anything from Burn Notice, it's that forcing someone to do spy shit by like making them mad (laughs) is a bad idea yeah i mean this almost worked if michael hadn't figured out like that he had a daughter based on some very very tiny crumbs of information this fully would have worked like it's it's one thing to like make someone do spy work and by be like making them mad. It's another thing to like put them in impossible, put them in an impossible situation where no matter what they choose, they lose like that. I think is very interesting. That is true. That's what happened to Brennan last time he was on. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what almost happened to Michael this time. Had he not figured out the duex machina Annabelle. Yeah, the tie clip buyer. <laughs> Anyways, so back at Madeline's house, probably a couple days later, uh, Nate is eating a sandwich with a full arm cast, which is dramatic for a single bullet wound, but okay. And he and Michael are chatting. Okay, Michael, calm, I- calm down. You've never been shot with a bullet at all. Right, but like, 
Why does he need to have a cast all the way up to his wrist? Like it, that was an awfully big cast. I think he's being dramatic. Michael's had like five bullet wounds before and doesn't have any cast. So I'm just saying. What I did like about this little moment where he and his brother are kind of talking and he's like, are you going to leave town? Are you going to keep doing your limo thing? Whatever. Michael is like sitting next to him on the couch, like eating his chips. It's like a very companionable little scene where like they're just like eating lunch together and like yeah. Michael's like stealing off his plate. And it's like, it's and very the, And these chips are illegally chips. <laughs> they are. They can legally be considered chips. In a court of law, these are chips. But no, it's just like, it's like when it, it there's this, there's a level of intimacy with that sort of emotion. It's it's like when, you know, a couple eats off each other's plate. It's like that, but for brothers. I don't yeah. know. It was nice. It was the first time that I ever, like, really believed that they genuinely care about each other. Just from that one little, like, motion. Like, Nate didn't slap his hand away. Like, it was just like, oh, yeah, have some of my chips. Like, it, it was just yeah. an unspoken moment of intimacy, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, then Madeline comes in, and we have, we've learned through this conversation that Nate is, had told their mom that he had gotten mugged. And so Madeline walks in and she's like, Michael, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I was just checking up on Nate after his mugging. And Madeline's like, yeah, it's funny that he got beat up by a mugger the same exact time that you and all of your friends were mysteriously busy and all freaked out about something. And Michael tries to like backpedal and Madeline's like, mm, fuck you. Obviously, it's not a mugger, but I'm glad that you're okay. And I like that moment a lot because everyone but Matt Nix and Alfredo Barrios Jr., writes Madeline like a fucking person instead of a caricature. Like, Madeline is not stupid. And this is the perfect moment of her being like, I'm not an idiot, you guys. I'm... I'm glad you're okay, but don't fucking talk to me like I'm a fool. And I want that Madeline. I love that Madeline. Because that Madeline makes logical sense based on everything that has happened in her life. Exactly. No, agreed. I also... Did I hear this correctly? Did this scene end with her forcing her sons to help her do a pyramid scheme product party with her i because she says product party and i think i missed like the first bit of it but i'm pretty sure she is like selling some sort of product and she's doing one of those little parties where like you invite people over it's a thing she's doing with barry i feel like barry is definitely in an mlm yeah no yeah it's it's skincare products oh yeah okay so it's because it's yeah it's skincare products it's a pyramid scheme it's like yeah (laughs) That's just such a bizarre because, end like, to the episode. Because, like, Barry, of course, cares about his skin. And also pyramid schemes because he's a money launderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I love that a lot. I thought that was a very funny button for a scene that made no impact on anything, but just made me laugh. Okay, I'm glad I heard that correctly. Um, so we cut back to the loft where Fiona is eating a yogurt and she and Michael share a nice little moment before Paxson arrives looking unhappy. Turns out her partner... Can I say got- about the moment really quickly? Sure. I think that a lot of the acting and direction in this episode is really good. But there's this bit where Michael says, like, just they're talking about the case and and Fee's like, you did it. And then Michael's like, I had a little help. And then Fee's entire head swivels like 180, like just the shocked, like dramatic <laughs> chipmunk motion that she makes. Like, what? You're acknowledging my work in our case today? Yeah, it was like, that was a little overdramatic. It was so overdramatic. Yeah, it was a lot. And it also does not do anything to clear up where they are in their relationship, which I think it, we ended the last episode of this podcast being like, where what's happening with them? Are they fucking? Are they not fucking? What's happening? And I still don't know. This does not clear it up for me at all. This it 100% does not. Cool. So, 
like I said, Paxson arrives. She's very unhappy. Her uh, partner got suspended because apparently he spent three hours grilling a mayor's aide with a joint bank account with Michael. Uh, but then it turned out to be a banking error, and now she's on a war path. And one of the final shots of the episode is her, like, turning to leave, seeing Michael's, like, passive-aggressive daily activity log file on the table throwing it into the air and like slamming the door behind her as all of the papers like cascade down. And it was a really lovely shot and very like well-timed and very fun. And no, it's a good shot. She's still not good. Oh no. The actress I'm still not thrilled by. I, there's a bit at the beginning of this episode where she holds up a card and like the line, I'm pretty sure the line as written is like, you want to end this? And then she holds up a card as like, call me. Oh, but, yeah. But she says it like a statement, like, you want to end this? And then holds up the card. And it doesn't feel like a choice. I mean, like, she probably doesn't want it to feel like a choice. It could be read as, I'm being threatening. Like, you want to end this. But it doesn't read as that. It reads like she doesn't get the line. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to tell you. She's a bad actress. I don't love her. Uh, I don't think she, suck, she sticks around for much longer, though. So I'm not overly concerned. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame, yeah, because she could be a really fun, like, sexy, like, angry lady, and she's just not. There's just always something, like, there's always a They don't know what to do with this character. Like, Yeah, well, she, not they just want her, her to be a lot pulpier than she is, but the actress yeah. that they picked is not pulpy. But it's also, I think, it's the same thing with Carla last season, where they don't know what to do with this character. Like, this, like, sexy female villain... Right. Who's well, because like, she's like she's too she's too goody two shoes, and so there's nothing that they can really get. like. She's not complicated. She's she's not complicated. Un-nuanced. But like Carla, also because it's also just that they can threaten Michael a little bit, but not too much. They have to keep coming back. I mean, it's the problem for any burn notice big bad or like recurring antagonist that they have to fuck up their life some, but not too much. And that yeah, intersecting with the fact enough to make them interesting. Yeah, and that intersects with the fact that this show can't write women well. Yeah, that's And so these characters, like, the kind of sexy femme fatale bad guy just bears the worst brunt of this. Yeah, no, I agree with that. All right, well, that's the end of the episode. You want to hear some spy tips? Sure, let's hear some spy tips. This was actually a pretty light episode for spy tips. They they seem to put all of their spy tips into that one stupid, like, hacking device with the Pringles can. Um, but there were a lot of like well-written spy tips, like well-written, like little asides, but they just weren't practical. So I'm a little bit worried actually that this episode's not going to pick up enough to pass that, that rule, but let's get into Mm. it. So there's a couple on here that are kind of on the edge. So I'm going to need you to help me litigate. I need to help you edge. Yeah. Help me edge. Get me there, Chris. Get me to the edge. So this is, this is a beast of a tip. So give me a second. All right. Sit down, everyone. Get comfortable. Get comfy in your quarantine. Number one, technology that makes communication easier also tends to make it more vulnerable. The Bluetooth on a cell phone, for example, is an easy way to send information wirelessly over short distances. Use an antenna, and you can use that same information over long distances. If you don't have an antenna, you can build your own. A combination of metal washers and a bent coat hanger connected to a cylindrical chip can... Uh, ooh, not a chip can, though, Michael Weston. Legally not. 
will allow you to capture the signal. A USB cable transmits the stolen information to a computer. Add a few pencils for legs and you've got a cute little improvised hacking device. So yeah, it's just an antenna. He built an antenna. But where, what is actually getting the information from the phone to the computer? Because all he does is he, call, he, he has Brennan call an extension in the office building to have a short little conversation. Is that what it is? It's like he's calling into the computer system that's connected to the phone that he's calling? Is that what the, we're supposed to take away from this? He Well, it's because like Bluetooth sends information. It's not just the audio. Yeah, but you're, he's not using Bluetooth to call the extension. But like there's a Bluetooth connection. As, as long as the Bluetooth is on. You could probably you could use it to access because like it seems fishy, but all right. Like yeah, because I mean, like, you can you can not be this. having a fo- call, but like do stuff with Bluetooth. Like I'm using Bluetooth headphones right now, and if I were Me like, too. I could press a button and like maybe like make music play or something. Like there is data that's not just in audio information that gets transmitted via Bluetooth. I do so think like there the amount of information that they get from this tiny little improvised antenna is absurd. The thing that confuses me is how you attach the USB cable to the to the signal to the coat hanger. Yeah, or to the coat hanger or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, that's that's the bit that's missing for me. Yeah, it's a highly suspect tip, but there's enough stuff in here that I'm going to allow it, but I'm not like I about fully it. believe that like if you can capture the Bluetooth signal, you can get a lot of information out of it. Well, this tip gets us most of the way there, so we're allowing it, I assume. All right. We get right to the edge. <laughs> Number two, nothing sells innocence like an injury. People naturally sympathize with someone who's bleeding. If you're in a situation where you really need the benefit of the doubt, it's worth a flesh wound. I'll take it. Although self-harm is bad. Don't self-harm yeah. unless you're in a very specific situation where your spy mission is on the, the edge. And also, you're not trying to kill yourself for, like, it's tactical. Yes, only hurt yourself when it's tactical, friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, a tire iron is great if you need a new tire. It's also great if you need a new car because the iron can be used to break a window and pry open the steering column to expose the ignition leads. It's the ultimate all-purpose tool. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that. Yeah, me too. So number four, the problem with blackmail is that it's like a gun with only one bullet. You can't waste the bullet on every little problem. And the closer you get to your goal, the harder it is to pull the trigger. This is true. It is true. And I do think that there's something worthwhile about like in the context of you being blackmailed, if you can get them, if you can essentially edge your captor, the closer you are to the end game, the less likely it is that they're going to use the blackmail because they know it's that sunk once cost the black- fallacy. Yeah, exactly. The sunk cost fallacy. And I think that this is a nice way of kind of wrapping that up and, and, and clarifying that. But in burn notice. My feeling is that we maybe have had this tip before. I don't know if we have. There haven't been a lot of blackmail episodes. It seems like there usually- maybe there has. I don't we're know. I feel like we we're deal usually with trying to. Well, we're usually trying. Like they're usually not blackmailing Michael. They're blackmailing like the client of the week, and so that creates a totally different dynamic. I like this episode all allow. <laughs> we are impartial judges for science, and we will hear no criticism about this entire. Story. Although I will say, I don't need this episode to be a great episode of Burn Notice for me to like it. In fact, if I like it and it's not a great episode of Burn Notice, 
it kind of supports my theory that Burn Notice isn't a good show. Bad Breaks got a great episode of Burn Notice, so... It did. Checkmate, idiot. Uh, number five. If you had to choose an ideal environment for guerrilla war, it would probably be look a lot like an urban parking structure. It's an easy place to create a distraction and draw out opposing forces. A parking garage is also a great place to control visibility and give yourself an advantage. Once you do that, you can find cover and stage an effective ambush. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially paired with what we saw on screen and, like, the specific things that he was doing. I enjoyed that. Yeah. I like stuff. I like action scenes in parking garages. They're good. <laughs> I also just like guerrilla warfare. Like it, it's the ultimate like apocalyptic scenario is like, you know, just using your environment to your advantage. I love that shit. That's I feel like, like we're currently episodes. living through the ultimate apocalyptic scenario. We are. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating to behold. In a few weeks, we'll give you guys an update <laughs> uh, to see if I'm still interested in apocalypse scenarios or if I've gotten it out of my system. Mm. All right. Let's rate this episode. All right, the, so we've got the spy tips. We got the spy tips. Uh, I don't actually think we needed them to pass this episode, but I wanted it. So yeah. um, we got enough spy tips. Was the weekly problem solved with spycraft over violence? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, they did. I definitely think it was. They do blow up a house and threaten his daughter. Sure, but the way but that they, they do it through find spycraft. the house and find the daughter. Yeah, exactly. And, like, Michael has a lot of great little micro sequences of spycraft. Yeah, there's so much spycraft going on within the episode. Yeah, so I, I, I'd say that passes. Is there a distinct alias? There is at one point. Yeah, I think that Johnny Dixon counts because he has a whole backstory for himself. And, like, he he basically created Johnny Dixon out of his environmental storytelling props. And I think that that's cool. Yeah. Oh, he has a name. I think what sends it over the edge is he does have a name. He does have a name. And he has a wife that's trying to move to Flagstaff. Like, there's enough details about Johnny Dixon that I can recall that I think that he counts as a distinct alias. And also, his performance was so good. No. No. (laughs) Yeah, no. That's fine. I'll give it. You'll give it the alias? I'll give it the alias. Fair enough. And finally, were Fee and Sam used well? Fee did get to blow something up. Fee blew Um, something up, and she ran over a median. (laughs) That's true. She did. She had a quick escape. Uh, and then Sam, Sam didn't have like the best episode, but he is now living with Madeline and he and Barry badly fix Madeline's house, which was funny. Yeah. Although like Barry can't do things. Mm-hmm. He can't do like masculine building things. Yeah. Cause he's, he's a delicate not man. He's a delicate not man who when fixing a window just checks his hair in the window. His like spiky, kind of grody hair. It's hair like that was definitely out of style when this episode was filmed. He looks like his hair. He has like over mascaraed eyelashes on his head. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's it's He's, it's a lot of there's a lot of clumping there. No, don't say there's a lot of clumping. So much clumping. I don't like that. Anyway, I, I think we had a good episode. I think uh, my uh, Sam's fine. I think we've. We've got enough. This is a great episode of Burn Notice. This is a great episode of Burn Notice. But, and here it is, is this a great episode of television? It's definitely a fun episode of television. And I think in the context of what we have considered great episodes before, I think that's enough. And honestly, I think it's what America needs right now. Yeah, because this, again, this is one of my favorite episodes of Burn Notice so far. 
Yeah, I really like even with the moments of this episode that don't make sense. I I only really stuck on those because I was writing notes. Like, had I just been watching yeah. this for watching its sake, I would have really, really enjoyed it. In, instead, yeah, of I think it's a, really it's definitely a sloppy it. episode of television. It's not the most perfectly ex- executed episode of television, but I think it's a great episode. Of, I think it is, and it does sort of tie into what I said at the beginning of the episode that maybe the worst thing about Burn Notice is the clients. But like, I I feel like there's two competing versions of Burn Notice. There's the Knicks. Barrio's version of Burn Notice. And then there's the, like, O'Neill and Tracy and Hurwitz version of Burn Notice. What would you and, say the distinguishing factors of each? And I think a lot of it comes down to whether or not you think bad guys are fun. That's an excellent point. I wasn't sure where you were going with it, although I have similar sort of theories of my own. But I think that is a great way to boil it down, is that for Nick's and Barrio's, bad guys are scumbags who are stupid and bad. Yeah, but also intimidating. Like, the idea in Barrio's and Nick's episodes, bad guys are very serious. Mm -hmm. They're very, like, masculine and serious. And, like, either they're masculine and serious or they're, like, pathetic. But, like, in a way that's not sympathetic at all. They're just sort of, because they're just dumb They're whiny losers. losers. They're whiny losers. And they're not entertaining. Yeah. And like... Because crime isn't fun, guys. Crime isn't fun. No, that's like the thing about their version of the show is that crime isn't fun. They're making also, a PSA so and much, the other guys are making a show. Yeah. And so much... But like so much of the show is about crime. Mm-hmm. It's such a like dry show. Or it's not like... And it's it never relishes in the things that it's doing. It doesn't relish in the... As much. I mean, it does a little bit. It's still burn notice. But yeah, there is this sense. It's very important that Michael and Co are the good guys and they're fighting bad guys that are like scary or lame or whatever. But yeah, in this version of the show, the Horowitz, O'Neill Tracy version of the show, like bad guys are fun and you want to watch them. And you still want to defeat them. But like you're enjoying the ride of defeat as much as you're enjoying the defeat. Exactly. And, like, crime is fun. And, like, doing all of this is fun. And this is the version of the show that I like. I agree. Yeah. I mean, and like I was saying, you know, Siler is the kind of gold standard for me of, like, unhinged, chaotically enjoyment of their work villains. And um, Heroes is not a good show. I watched that show for Siler because he, as a villain, despite being completely despicable, is so interesting to watch and elevates every other boring ass scene to something actually worth watching. And I don't see the point. Like, I already like Michael Weston and his buds. Why would I like I don't need you to give me uncomplicated villains outside of them just to watch Michael Weston kick ass over and over again. Like, show me something fun. And Michael Weston seems like he has more fun with fun villains too he gets to play back and forth like michael weston just getting serious and like dead kid disease is not a joke i'm gonna kill everybody like that's boring michael weston getting to like get a little flirty with a villain like that's what i'm in this for yeah give me killing eve but with burn notice exactly just give me killing eve i love killing (laughs) eve i don't know killing eve is kind of slow for me i couldn't get into it i know i should i know it's something that like Oh, you should theoretically appeals to do me. Do it again. It's so slow. I've watched like it's, eight episodes. I mean, that's like a season. So you watched the first season? Um, I watched all but like the last episode or two, I think. Oh, you There's should more watch than it. eight it's episodes. Good. I just—it's so slow. Season it's one, such a slow burn. you might like 
season two better. Is season two a little bit quicker paced? Season two, I think, is a pulpier show. I think it's a less nuanced show. I think, like, it's a slightly dumber show. Like, I think I think season one of Killing Me is really smart because Phoebe Waller-Bridge wrote it and, like, it's, you know, her doing that thing. Whereas I think season two of Killing Eve is a little more wanting to be a fun show, I think. And I... Well, maybe I'll go back. I think you should finish Hulu season now, one right? of Killing Eve because it's great and then watch season two. Like, I think... Yeah, I think it's actually an interesting case of, on, like, the borderline of how, like, I think Killing Eve season one is a good show that want, that has a lot of fun, whereas, like, season two might be a little bit more of a fun show. Interesting. All right. You've semi-convinced me. Once I finish rewatching Fantasy High on Dropout, And also, like, Jodie Comber is so good. Like, talk about, like, villains that are unhinged. She and, and, and I do like that. It's just, it's such, it's too slow. Like, I like the kind of quick-paced pulpiness of, like, you know, yeah. this kind of a show. Burn Notice, the show that we're doing. So this is the end of our episode. We got to end this episode because we were doing so well with our recording time. And then we we went off the rails a little bit. Damn us. Well, this is not only a great episode of Burn Notice, but a great episode of television. Our first of season three. Very exciting. Uh, uh-huh. And two more yogurts to add to our tally. Arguably more exciting. And uh, that's the end of our episode, friends. So check back next week for a brand new episode. Thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find out more about Vincent's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. Of course, in the UK, they're all crisps. (laughs) Fuck off.